Thank you guys so very much for joining us today as we are in the third week of our Back to Basics series. Uh, in this series, we're simply revisiting some of the fundamentals of what it is that we believe as Jesus followers, asking the question, why does it matter? What difference does it make in our lives? Let me give a shout out to those of you who are watching from San Jose. I'm especially uh, uh, excited for those of you who are with us for the first or second time. Thank you so very, very much. And a shout out to all of you watching across the country and across the world vis-a-vis -vis social media. I'm super excited about this message. But first, let me give you a real quick announcement. Guess what? Next weekend. Can somebody say next weekend? Yes. Next weekend is Father's Day weekend. And so we're going to be celebrating all of the fathers and father figures at all of our campuses, both in person and online next weekend. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to take a break from this series because I've got a super, super special word for the men and for the teenagers, teenage guys, uh, next weekend. So uh, those of you in San Jose, listen, pack that house with the brothers in your life. Come on now. The same in Redwood City. Let's have some watch parties online. Let's get the brothers around so that we can honor, celebrate them, and also that God might speak directly to their hearts. All right, God, we thank you and praise you for this moment to teach your word. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit, even as we talk about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, cool. All right, let's look at our scripture for uh, today. Uh, it's not a strange uh, scripture, but just before, let me just talk to you real quickly. Our roadmap that we've been following along every week is the Apostle Creed, the oldest uh, Christian creed that we have. Uh, it starts off by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The first week we ask who, the question, who's God? And then it moves on to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. Last week we asked the question, who's Jesus? And then it goes on to say, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. So this week we ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to return to the Genesis text that we've been kind of dancing back and forth with over the last several weeks. I love this passage uh, in Genesis chapter 1 uh, and the first couple of verses. Uh, and here's what it says. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And here it is. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There is the reading. And so we ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? As we interact with that text, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That was the stage in creation that we often call chaos, out of which comes uh, the universe and the earth, etc., etc. It reminds us, makes it very clear, the Spirit, of, the Holy Spirit is God. And so we talk about it as the third person of the Trinity, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Trinity piece of this in a few weeks, so you're going to make, you want to make sure that you track with us there the triune reality of one God. And here's what the Nicene Creed says. The second, probably most important creed in Christian history is the Nicene Creed. Here's what it says about the Holy Spirit. Uh, they said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. Another word for worship. Who has spoken through the prophets. And so a couple of things that we're told there. Number one, he's spoken through the prophets, is meaning that our Holy Scriptures come be, by way of the Holy Spirit, breathing them into existence, utilizing humanity. That's why 
we trust the scriptures in which we have. But I like this language. Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's unique about the Holy Spirit, though, is that the Holy Spirit is what makes God the Father and the Son personal in your life and in my life. So we first experience the Holy Spirit there in the opening passage that I read. And he hovers across, hovers over the water. But then throughout the Old Testament, we experience the Holy Spirit in a variety of different ways. So many of us think, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think church. But the Holy Spirit, being God, predates the church. As a matter of fact, it predates creation. So let's look at some of the ways it shows up in the Old Testament very quickly. First of all, uh, the phrase that uh, often shows up in the Old Testament when it comes to uh, folk like Gideon and Deborah and David is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, or the Spirit of the Lord rested upon them, or the Spirit of the Lord, they were clothed in the Spirit of the Lord, this notion of the Spirit of God coming up. Notice what 1 Samuel 16 says about David. It says that David is standing among his brothers, and the prophet Samuel got ready to anoint him with oil, and when he anointed David with oil, here's what it says. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. He was designated. He was authorized. He was empowered to be the king of Israel and do the work that God had called him to do. Here's a contemporary uh, example of that. Uh, some of you may have heard me tell this story before. Interestingly enough, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave the speech that is now known as the I Have a Dream speech, Fascinating, the section that we now quote most often, which is the I Have a Dream segment, was not in the written manuscript. As a matter of fact, he had gotten to a particular point in his speech, and Mahalia Jackson cried out and says, why don't you tell him about a dream that you had, Martin? That was the spark of the Spirit right there. And then one can say that the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. If you, if you watch the video, you see he lifts his eyes. There's, there's, the section is not in the manuscript. And he begins to quote from memory, what becomes the most memorable section of any speech he's ever given. And historians says it was at that moment that he became the national leader of the civil rights movement and the iconic figure that we now know of today. It is to be said that at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then there's another fascinating example. Oh, and so my point for you is all of us want to live our lives in such a way that at various points it can be said that the Spirit of the Lord on our middle schoolers and high schoolers, the Spirit of the Lord on our college students, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you to empower you to do the unique work that God has shaped you to do in the world. That's still possible. That's still possible. It's not just something we read in Scripture are reserved for people like Dr. King. And then there's another passage that I love. In Exodus 31, verse 2 through 5, uh, God has assembled some folk to build the tabernacle, that tent that represented the presence of God among his people. And he names this guy by the name of Bezel El. And Bezel El, God says, I've picked him out from the tribe of Judah. And notice what verse 3 says here. It says this, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So many people think this notion of being filled with the Spirit of God is only language that we find in the New Testament. No, right here. I filled him with the Spirit of God and empowered him. The text says, I've empowered him uh, with you, great, can you say great? Great wisdom, ability, expertise, and all kinds of crafts. 
And I just want to point out that this guy was not a priest or a prophet. He was a craftsman. He was a master craftsman. But, a, but once God filled him, as good as he was, he became even better, supernaturally gifted. And so God opened up his minds and sharpened his skills by the Spirit of God. You, you, you would know that this is possible of God because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is the one who's hovering over the chaos, over the waters, and out of which comes the universe and all of its complexity. Surely the one who made the mind can open the mind. Quick story, contemporary story uh, to illustrate this point. My wife was about to become a, a full-fledged professor at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff when God spoke to her, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I'm calling you to be a doctor. Now, I just want to circle that for those of you listening. The Holy Spirit didn't say, I'm calling you to be a preacher or an elder or a deacon or to sing in the choir. All those things are wonderful, church-related things. The Holy Spirit said, I'm calling you to be a doctor. Now, the reason why I'm emphasizing that is that one of my favorite scriptures that says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. It's a reminder that the whole earth is God's temple. And that every occupation that moves towards the good is ordained by God. So God calls some people to be police officers, doctors, plumbers, teachers in the classroom, and he anoints you for that task. And this is what was unique. I'm getting back to my wife's story. She says she always had some trouble with math and science and so forth and so on. She had to go back and take some prerequisites in order to get ready for medical school. They were high math, high science. And Rhonda says she was shocked when she got into class and started to do the work and started to study principles in organic chemistry, for example, that heretofore had been extremely difficult for her. She said it was as though God pulled back the curtain and she could, she could begin to understand what she couldn't understand before. Come on, wake up, young people that are watching me in San Jose. Come on, wake up, middle schoolers and high schoolers and those of you who are struggling through college. The, the, the maker of the creation, the one who shaped the brain, come on, says, I want to be personally involved in your life. Let me help you with your studying. <laughs> Somebody ought to say amen. Good news. Come on now. But you got to invite. You got to welcome. You got to allow him to fill your life. And then, of course, in Joel, we find this great passage, chapter 2, verse 28. And here's what it says. It's a fantastic passage. Here's what it says. It says, afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Stop right there. Most of the Old Testament, when we see that the spirit of God is filling people or coming upon people or clothing people, they were either, they were usually, with a few exceptions, they were usually Kings, priests, prophets, or spiritual and political leaders of the nation of Israel who might not hold the title as king. Yeah, they were special people. What's unique about the prophecy in Joel is that God is saying that there's going to come a day that, that history is going to shift, and I'm going to pour out my spirit. It, 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 it will be said upon the regular everyday person that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, that the Spirit of the Lord will fill your life. For the everyday person, I'm pouring out my spirit on everyone. Can you say everyone? Everyone. Come on. My sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will see will have will dream dreams, prophetic dreams. Young men will see visions, the activity of the Lord. And then when you get to Acts and when the church is born, 
Guess what? The Spirit of God falls on everybody. This passage is quoted. Okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. We live in that era. We live in the era, young men and women, boys and girls, all of you who are listening to me. We live in an era where the Spirit of God is waiting to fall upon your life and to feel my life. Come on now. And to live within us. We live in that era. So I want to talk about this era really in, with four terms. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can have spiritual intimacy. Because of the Holy Spirit, we, have, we can have spiritual empowerment in difficult and challenging times. And because of the Holy Spirit, there is a such thing as spiritual transformation. That at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit can transform us in ways that willpower cannot. And lastly, because of the Holy Spirit, the church, we have spiritual unity in the midst of great diversity. Let's talk about spiritual intimacy. Well, this era that is prophesied by Joel comes in through the person of Jesus. The scripture tells us in Matthew that when Jesus was born, the announcement was made, this is God with us. In three and a half years, we sense his ministry. It's a wonderful point in, at the beginning of his ministry where after his baptism, uh, he says he comes up out of the water and we hear a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. And the text says, and the spirit of God came and lit on him like a bug. Like a, like a dove. Fascinating. That notion like a dove is very reminiscent of the Genesis text because when the Genesis text, which was originally written in Hebrew, was translated in Greek for the Greek-speaking world, that part where I says, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters was translated, the Spirit of the Lord, in the Greek, was translated, the Spirit of the Lord fluttered over the waters like a dove. In that one space, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son is right there. Well, fast forward, Jesus does his three and a half years of ministry, and then comes the night before his arrest and crucifixion, which sets up his resurrection and ascension. The night before, he uh, begins to prepare his disciples, and he speaks to them and Through them, he speaks to us because what he says to them becomes real. And what he describes is how the Holy Spirit will, watch this, create, facilitate spiritual intimacy. Here's how he begins. If you love me, obey my commandments. Essentially, here's what I want to translate that to mean. For those of us who do more than just say we like Jesus, but we take the ownership paperwork of our lives And we turn them over to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're now the owner of our lives. He's speaking to us now. And then he says, here's the deal to his disciples then. And we are the benefactors, benefits of, we benefit from what he just says, what he's about to say. And I will ask the father and he will, I know, I know I'm saying I'm about to leave. You're tripping out. You're getting worried. You're grieving. But Jesus said, I got you. I got you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Come on, say advocate. Advocate, the the Greek word beneath that is paraclete. Essentially, an advocate means one who comforts, one who counsels, one who encourages. He's going to send one who's going to comfort and counsel and encourage you. And just check it out. He will never leave you. Who is this one? He's the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, who leads you into all truth. All truth meaning that he'll be your teacher He will reveal the distinction between what's right and what's wrong. The world cannot receive him because 
It isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. To use uh, the language when I was growing up because their radios are not plugged into the right frequency. <laughs> or to use this modern day culture language. Uh, they got some nice, they got some phones, but they don't, they don't have cell service and they're not plugged into the Wi-Fi. So they have no ability to connect with the Holy Spirit that is moving around them in power and knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. This is not aware. He says, but you know him. He says, you know him basically because Jesus is saying, you know me, you've been with me. You know him because, watch this, he lives with you now. He's been present with us now. And later, meaning after Jesus' death and resurrection, watch this, he will live, he will be in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, that upon his resurrection, when he leaves, the spirit will come. And then this is a unique thing he says about the spirit coming. He says, listen, I won't abandon you. You won't be orphans. I'm coming to you. When the spirit comes, he's going to bring me to move into your life. Isn't that extraordinary? Wow. That if you turn over the ownership papers of your life to Jesus, what he's saying is the spirit. That, 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 that is, it's not a matter of the Spirit moving around you and moving upon you. He moves into your life. How important is that? How incredible is that? How fascinating is that? Sometimes I hear Christians talk about how, how, how worthless their lives are. And I just need to remind them of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the God who creates the universe? Come on now. Uh, lives in your life. Your, 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 his temporal spirit, he lives in you. Wow. Don't you know that the president moved into your house, suddenly your house becomes priceless, valuable? Come on, they put it, they set it off to the side. That's how your life is, middle schooler. That's how your life is, high schooler. That's how your life is, even though you say, I don't do all the right things. He lives in you. We turn over the ownership papers to Jesus. He says, I'll move in. Wow. And when he moves in, he brings intimacy, closeness. He brings closeness. And so he said, listen, so I'll not abandon you, right? I'll come to you, he says. Here's the kinds of ways that intimacy shows up in our lives when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. First, he indwells us. I just talked about what it means. He lives in our lives. Secondly, as the Holy Spirit lives in our lives, bringing Jesus to life in our lives, he comforts us when we're in the midst of grief and trouble and challenge. He counsels us when we need guidance and direction. I, I hear the writer of Proverbs says, acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your paths. And not only that, he reveals for us. He, 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 des- he helps us to discern the difference between what's true and what is false. Uh, he gives us clarity as we, as we allow him to have more and more power over our lives. He challenges us in chapter 16. Uh, Jesus says that the Spirit will convict us of sin. He challenges us when our lives are out of alignment with God. Somebody asked a question a few days ago. Uh, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking versus my conscience speaking? And I say this, when the Holy Spirit is living in your life, he utilizes your conscience. And then he intercedes. He intercedes for you. When you don't know what to pray, when life is so heavy, your problems are so impacted, you just don't have words. You don't, you've run out of words to ask God. The Holy Spirit is one of my favorite passages, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Here's what it says. 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, meaning in those moments that, that we just don't know what to say. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When my grandaunt, in my years growing up, particularly when I became a teenager, she was wrestling with some stuff that I didn't figure out until years later, including health and cancer. But I remember her walking around the house from time to time just going, mm, mm, mm. And she'd go and do whatever it was that she was doing, and later on I hear her go, mm, mm. That's what I think about when I see this passage, that, that, that there was some stuff that she was dealing with for which there were no words uh, to articulate to God. But what the text says, that in those moments, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, that the Holy Spirit takes our mm, 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 translates it into a language that heaven can understand. That spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy. A wonderful example of what this looks like in in, uh, in modern contemporary life is really found in the person of Abraham Lincoln, you know, 16th president of the United States. As you know, he had the horrendous task of leaving the country, leading the country through the Civil War. It was a horrible, confusing time. He lost at least one child during that period of time. Lots of pain, lots of trouble in his life. Here's what he wrote, talking about spiritual intimacy, how the Holy Spirit facilitates it for us. Here's what he writes. I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. And my own wisdom and that of all the folk who surrounded me seemed insufficient for the day. But he's saying moments that I needed comfort and counsel and revelation, I went to my knees. I went to my knees. And the Holy Spirit who makes God personal and real in my life, I found it. And then later on, he writes this. This is another great quote talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he writes. When I lay down the reins of this administration, I want to have one friend left. And that is the friend who lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit. That is the friend that wants to live inside of you. As you turn over the paperwork of your life to Jesus and says, I want you, we use language like be Lord and redeemer of my life. That is the friend that says, I want, to, I want to bring spiritual intimacy to your life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit facilitates for us not only spiritual intimacy, but it also facilitates spiritual empowerment. And when we talk about spiritual empowerment, here's what I like to talk about it. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus lived and to do the work that Jesus has called us to do, to be his, as one person says, his apprentice here on earth and to, and to, to be the means through which Jesus lives in your house, in your family, to be the means through which Jesus functions on your job, the means, the presence through which Jesus works because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he empowers you. This is a very important passage to me, but it shapes the empowering work of the Spirit of God for individual believers and for the collective church. Here's what it says, Acts 1-8. On the other side of Jesus' resurrection, he's about to ascend, and the disciples are saying, well, aren't you going to establish uh, your kingdom before you leave? And Jesus says, no, 
I'm going to leave that to you guys, but I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower you because I'm going I'm to live in you. And, 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 and here's how I'm going to empower you. But when you receive power, on the other side is his ascension. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. There's that language again, that Old Testament language comes upon you. You see it? You see it? You see it? And you will be my witnesses. That word actually means martyrs. That, that you're, you're, you'll be so faithfully committed to me uh, and to telling people, the rest of it, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, uh, uh, that, 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 that even at the point of losing your life, And you will see power. That word is dunamis, explosive, dynamite power. Uh, I'll make you stronger than you are in your own right. To endure, to push through, to press through, and to be a light. You will see that power. Now, here's the key for hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit, for interacting with the Holy Spirit, know that you're interacting with the right person. The key is in knowing God's word. This is why you come to church. This is why you develop a personal habit of reading and studying uh, the Word of God. And uh, I, I like the way Rick Warren uh, puts it. Uh, actually, he says that we need to learn to trust God's Word, read it, memorize it, study it, reflect it, practice it, because God often speaks to us through Scripture. It was this Scripture, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that God used to s- confirm His call to me to ministry. Now, oftentimes this power comes to us through what we call gifts. Can you say gifts? Gifts are given to those of us in the church to help us uh, to do the work in the church because uh, he calls us to build up this body, this community we call the church, and to help us to serve and be his light in the world. Now, Romans 12 gives us one list of gifts. Interestingly enough, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just some examples, the gift of Prophecy to serve, to teach, to encourage, to be generous, to lead, to be kind. It's when these characteristics are exceptionally and easily present in your life, empowered by God's Spirit, he's saying. Make you unique in the body of Christ. First Corinthians 12 gives us another set of gifts. They're more on the, what we call the charismatic side, moving from wise advice to special knowledge. Uh, special knowledge, give you a perfect example. Uh, when I was praying about whether Jesus was calling me uh, to preach his word, I stopped at a gas station. Some of you heard this story. And a fella came up to me out of the blue, didn't know who I was, and says, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you that he's calling you to preach his word. Supernatural, huh? Great faith, gift of healing, miracles, discerning the true message from the spirit of God versus other spirits. Speaking in unknown languages, interpret them. I've seen all these different gifts at work. I believe in all these gifts. I think they're wonderful. Here's here's one quick thing I want to say. And I've also seen them, by the way, I should say, for every authentic gift, there's a a counterfeit. So you have to be careful when you're working with the gifts. But here's, here's, here's the thing I want to say real quickly. Rick Warren says that everybody is a 10 in something. And that every congregation has a hole in it because there's a person that ought to be there with a gift that the Holy Spirit has given them that's not there. I'll push it further. I think 
that congregations like NBCC, we have holes, not because the people are not with here. I think people fill our pews, they watch us online, but I think we have holes because people are comfortable sitting in the pew in San Jose, in Ridwood City, sitting back in the watch party, watching us online, as opposed to hearing the call of the Holy Spirit saying, come forth and serve. Be a part of the online campus ministry. You have a spiritual gift that God wants to release that the body of Christ needs, that new beginnings need. Come forth and serve. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me that we need some graphic arts. They said, maybe we need to hire some people who have graphic arts skills. I said, no, no, I believe that God has put in our pews, whether it be online or in person, whether local or international, everything that we need. So we've got tons of people sitting among this congregation, you know, over a thousand plus people, right? Tons of people who have the gift of graphic arts. So let me just be the voice of the Holy Spirit and call you forth. <laughs> Hear the Holy Spirit calling you forth. Come forth. Send an email to us. Say, yeah, I can give a couple hours a week, or a couple hours a month, or whatever the case might be. Others have other gifts. God gave you the gift to serve the church so that collectively the church can serve and be a light in the world. And that's gifts. Everybody shout gifts. Gifts are important. But the most important of the gifts, and let me just give you this quote, 1 Corinthians 12, before I leave here. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Gifts are important. They focus on what we do. But the most important is spiritual transformation. We call that fruit. Can you say fruits? When Paul finished talking about the gifts, which focuses on what we do, he then says, but I want to show you a more excellent way at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then when you turn the page and start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he starts, he moves from what you do to who you are. And we're talking about how, how, how the Holy Spirit brings about fruit in our lives. And here's how he describes it. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'd just be empty noise. He goes on to say, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith, Big faith, right? Miracle working faith that I can move mountains. And he, what he's doing is he's revisiting all the gifts that he's just finished talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by the way. He's just revisiting those gifts. He's saying, you can have all these gifts. Come on. But if I didn't love others, it would be nothing. Wow. Paul says at the end of the day, uh, it's not who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And it's the work of the Spirit of God that wants to transform you, wants to bring forth fruit in your life. Galatians 5, 22, 23 uh, says it like this. 
And I always say, listen, if I got to choose between gifts and fruit, I want the fruit, y'all. Come on. Here's the fruit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in the lives of those who are genuinely serious about growing in Jesus. Love. That's agape love. The same love that Paul's talking about in, verse, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He says, yeah, this is not produced in your life by willpower. He says that when you have the Holy Spirit living in your life, that, that he begins to, 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 to grow these characteristics, these different expressions of that one love that he's talking about, that agape love, that Christ-centered, other-centered love in your life. And it transforms your character. It's your character that you take to eternity. It's who you are. Wow. You know, fellow that I... I've often thought about his fellow by the name of John Newton. And John Newton, you may know, is a, was a former slave trade trader. And he ran into a huge crisis uh, out on the ocean as he's carrying a ship of slaves to England. Almost lost his life. He cried out to God. God miraculously delivered him. That opened up his heart. Ultimately, he came to trust Jesus, turn over the paperwork of his life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit came into his life ultimately. And in that process, the one who comes to reveal and to teach and to counsel, Holy Spirit, revealed to him that slavery was wrong. That love, that fruit of love that we talked about and began to surface. And he turned from being a slave trader to, to work in the, and he helped to abolish slavery in England. Spiritual transformation. Wow. It, it's, uh, I think it was uh, Mr. Phelps, Whitley Phelps, who told the story about the song that Mr. John Newton is famously known for writing, Amazing Grace. You know those lyrics? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Mr. Newton is talking about himself as a slave owner, seller, trader. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see spiritual transformation. And we should be going through spiritual transformation all of our days on the planet that the Holy Spirit is working to make us better, to grow us. That's who wants to live in your life. And then finally, the environment. Listen to this. This is key. Is insight that the Holy Spirit uses to produce this fruit in our lives is trouble and temptation. Uh, Mr. Newton became transformed in the midst of trouble. Some of us will be transformed in the midst of temptation, that this is the laboratory, the classroom within which the Holy Spirit transforms us. I was talking to a couple the other day, and and because I've counseled them over the years, I know they've got some challenges around anger and, and impatience and some of that stuff. They were going into a new season in their life. And so I said, now you're about to go into a new season. They were super excited. And they said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for us? I said, absolutely. But I'm going to pray that God opens up your eyes that, that in this new season, as you find yourself tempted to go off at each other, you find yourself tempted to be impatient with each other, that in those moments that you'll call on the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And you're, it's not just a matter of willpower. It is the power of the one who created you that lives in you. And say, oh, God, I need you to, I need you to use this as a moment to produce fruit 
Help me to be more loving. Help me to be more patient. Help me to hold my tongue, self-control. Exert your authority over my life. And I say that as you begin to pray that way, when you find yourself in the moments of temptation, when you find yourself in the moments of trouble, it is in those moments that God begins incrementally to make you better. To answer your prayer. Wow. Finally, let me in. So it's the Holy Spirit that facilitates spiritual intimacy, spiritual empowerment, and spiritual transformation lives within you. But ultimately, it is also the Holy Spirit that is the source of spiritual unity in the midst of great diversity. And I'm going to end with this passage right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And here's what Paul writes. This is a fascinating thing. He says, some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Think about the diversity there, right? Some are slaves. Some are free. These are people who see the world differently through different lenses. Watch this. But we have all been baptized. Shout baptized. Baptized. We will baptize you with water. But, but ultimately, when you become a part of the body of, Je- of, of Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes you spiritually into the body. Notice what he says. We've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share. He didn't say we all share the same bloodline. We're different, right? Oh, but we share something deeper than that. We all share the same spirit. Those of you who are sitting in our San Jose campus, just look around to the right and left. Look at your brothers and your sisters. We all share the same spirit. Those of you who who have folk watching this with you and they are Jesus followers, we all share the same spirit. And that's why here at NBCC, God is doing something really unique. As he's raising up a community that's, that is uniquely diverse across ethnicity and politics and theology and all of that. But he's raising up a people who are Jesus first people. Jesus first. He's Lord. He's Redeemer. And we all share the same spirit. So we know how to, we're learning how to love across disagreement and shine the light of Jesus in our world and be transformational. Wow. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that makes the Son, Jesus, real and personal in our lives. May you know that Spirit ever so powerfully in the days to come. May He fill you May he baptize you. May he indwell you. Amen and amen.